walks around talking about and flouting his great economy, right? My great economy, my great economy. You ask him, well, how are you measuring this greatness of this economy of yours? And he talks about the stock market. Well, that's fine if you own stocks. So many families in America do not. You ask them, how are you measuring the greatness of this economy of yours? And they point to the jobless numbers and the unemployment numbers. Well, yeah, people in America are working. They're working two and three jobs. So when we talk about jobs, let's be really clear. In our America, no one should have to work more than one job to have a roof over their head and food on the table. The, uh, that whole line which she stole from AOC, that the reason the unemployment is low is because people are working two or three jobs, is A, demonstrably false, and B, doesn't make any sense. Before we, before we get to that, before Joe dissects Kamala Harris. I'm not going to bother. She lies about everything, though. But she uh, she easily was the standout of both nights, right? I mean, yes. she she stands out from both nights. If, 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 for Gain me, the most steam, yeah. For me or anybody, if you just looked back on the last two nights of debate, the person that stands out is strong, and you could imagine them ending up winning. It'd be her. Um, so or standing on stage, John with Trump. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she was uh, in a lot of your polls. She's by far people's second choice, even though she's not, hasn't been people's first choice. Right. So she could she could launch up in the polls, and it would seem like an extraordinary rise. But she was so many people's second choice that just kind of you know flipped from I I'm, I was going to go with Biden because I think he'll win, but Harris is my second choice. All of a sudden she's there or Bernie or whatever, and. Uh, and that, that'll be interesting to watch, and Trump will probably come up with a nickname for her and everything like that. But her positions, though, man, she's going to have to figure that out. The whole health care for uh, everybody, including illegals, the whole it's uh, not illegal to cross the border, and anybody who works any job should be able to put a roof over their head and food on the table. Any job? Any job. Right. How do you structure an economy like that? I have no skills. I put out practically no effort, uh, but I should earn enough to support a family. I'm at the lowest rung of this company, right? and uh, my job is not worth much to them, but I, somehow you've got to pay me enough to be able to, to, to afford housing and food. I'm 18 years old. Did she say for the family? Did she it, throw that in also? Um, uh, probably, the, yeah. The, the last yeah, part of that. Can, family. can you come up with the last part of that while we're while we're John here, just where she gets to the anybody who works one job? Because that that stood out to me. I'm kind of I'm sick. I got a cold. I'm laying on the couch. I'm watching it. I'm laying. She said that, and I thought, holy crap. Yeah. That's just, how do you structure a society where you ever have that be possible? And a number of people threw out the whole raising the minimum wage thing and everything like that. And uh, minimum wage should be a living wage. But so any job you work at McDonald's, that should be a here, go ahead. Well, yeah, people in America are working. They're working two and three jobs. So when we talk about jobs, let's be really clear. In our America, no one should have to work more than one job to have a roof over their head and food on the table. A roof over your head and food on the table. So housing and food, any job. Yeah. I work at McDonald's. That should be enough to, uh, I, I just, I don't know how you structure society like that. And people cheer like crazy. Well, and what's funny is, as I tweeted, both my wife and I at various times in our lives have worked two jobs. And we were fine. It was tiring. I mean, it's really, really tiring. But the idea that that's some sort of horrific oppression that cannot be forgiven, I just don't get it. Does it make a difference if she changes it to full-time job? 
Well, that that's crappy. I mean, that's that's no way to live. That's really rough. Hey, I'm not saying I, I'm just framing it. it does sure. that change the discussion well, at all? That's a reasonable question, yeah. I'm not sure you can ha- structure a society where your full-time job at McDonald's is going to provide housing and food wherever you live. You just don't bring that much value. As, I'm, just, I'm just not sure it would work. For all of the the entire, quite literally, the entire history of mankind, people have understood that. If I want value, I've got to bring value. And so they bring it. Or anyway. they become beggars, or what have you. Uh, the good folks at Reason Magazine, or Reason.com, dissected a bunch of her claims. And um, like the guy she may be running against, uh, she she plays rather fast and loose with uh, the facts at times. And uh, distorts her record completely. But she's got the confidence and the indignance and the the strength and the gesturing down. She looks strong, so the fact that... She said she's always been in favor of stuff that she was on the record for years being against, in print and verbally. It just doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, such is our times, though. Right. She might be the right person for these times. Yeah. She was, God bless her, uh, you know, she was the Attorney General of California for, for a while, Who, for people who aren't familiar with Kamala Harris's act, and there was plenty she did that was terribly annoying, but... She was good and strong uh, supporting a city policy that required law enforcement to turn over undocumented juvenile immigrants to federal immigration authorities if they're arrested and suspected of committing a felony um, even before they were convicted. She was a supporter of that policy. Um, She told viewers last night she disagreed with Obama's policy of informing ICE when undocumented immigrants were arrested for state or, or local crimes. But she was fully in favor of it and did it for a long time. Now, whether her opponents on the Democrat side will dredge that stuff up and hammer her with it, and if it matters, I don't know. But the blood sport has just begun on the D side. I mean, God help you. You run to the front of the wolf pack as she shows every sign of doing. The other wolves are coming for you. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see if she if she launches to the top like she could. She certainly has in terms of uh, momentum and everything yeah. like that. Everybody will be coming after her. Hey, have you heard anybody, anybody up to and including Mrs. Biden say Joe Biden had a good night? Well, no, um, I don't think anybody would claim that. I, I think, it, you know, you could. Uh, well, I wondered all along how old he would look on stage. He looked very old. Yeah, he looked and sounded old. So and he just he you know he made a musical metaphor earlier he, he sounded like he hadn't quite learned his songs as well but even a little I, stumbly fumbly bumbly I think even worse than that for him was everybody else was I think better than I mean he has been the well, the inevitable candidate or he's the most likely to be all this sort of stuff I don't right. think there's any way that if you hadn't heard that ahead of time if you hadn't heard all the punditry for the last six months about he's the one that could most likely beat Trump, that you would have watched. You came into it cold. You came into it cold and watched the last two nights of debates. I'm not sure he would even be on your list of the top five that you would think. I I just don't see how you would come up with that. Everybody was, not only was he not as dazzling (laughs) as people might have been hoping, everybody else was just better. Yeah. He did say one thing that I agreed with uh, 100% last night. My time's up, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, Sean, an ageist, folks. We have an ageist on our staff who, who will not vote for anybody over. What's your dividing line? 50? I, mo- I moved it up to seventy. <laughs> <laughs> that, That's still that, a little old. That yeah. ain't exactly a, a harsh standard. That <laughs> still, there are two candidates on that stage last night who failed that really last standard. <laughs> 
Yeah. Joe Biden's son is 20 years away from breaking that standard. Right. So the the policy headlines last night. But as soon as Elizabeth Warren's out, I'll move it back down to 60. Oh, okay. So um, the policy headlines last night were that when they asked who's in favor of decriminalizing crossing the border, everyone raised their hands except, did Pete keep his hand down? I think there might have been one holdout on that. But when they asked, who thinks Medicare for All should apply to undocumented immigrants, they all raised their hand. Yes, Joe Biden wanted to throw in a caveat, but you don't get to. So maybe the question's as much about those show of hands moments as it is about policy. But everybody on the stage, and the Republicans will absolutely use this as a club, and they should. Everybody on stage, perhaps with one exception, said, let anybody in without penalty... And everybody gets Medicare for all. I wonder how that polls in in, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana. Well, that's what Joe Scarborough was talking about on MSNBC this morning. And he couldn't hate Trump more because Trump's made fun of him and his wife and all kinds of different stuff. And outed them as doing it. (laughs) Right. And all that sort of stuff. And he said, this health care for illegals, you just lost Wisconsin. You just lost Pennsylvania. You just lost Ohio. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, do although I, it's so easy in politics, once you get to the general, say, a compassionate nation with unlimited resources could commit to a plan like that because all of us are God's children. But for now, what we need to do is take care of Americans. And my priority is taking care of Americans. So you just and walk it just back? Forget, yeah, you just walk it And back. it's just over? In a lot of minds. That's not instantly successful. That's right. just what they will attempt. Do, we, do you want to go ahead and listen to that everybody show your hands moment? Um, you want to play that when we come back, if you haven't yeah, heard it yet? Fine. Um, uh, that 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 is a huge political moment. If that's where the country is going, holy crap, we're, we're just a different thing now. No borders and health care for everyone, including illegals. Yeah, we are quite literally now the... I don't know, the, the charity home for the entire globe. Well, the idea of... Government health care for everyone in America was a no-go just a few years ago. Just a few years ago, that couldn't be your position and get elected president. Right. Now it includes illegals for everybody on the stage. Yeah. Unbelievable. We'll play that for you next. Armstrong and Getty. I just want to say for all the media focus on Kamala Harris, and I'll come back to her, uh, Joe Biden, a lot of the pundits predicted that the 76-year-old former vice president was going to look old and slow and out of it on that debate stage. I, in my view, he was surprisingly forceful and passionate and didn't say anything uh, that would dent his front-runner status. Well, was, you're very good, Professor. That was Howard Kurtz of uh, Fox News. And I just wanted to throw that in, and Jonah Goldberg tweeted last night that Twitter conventional wisdom seems to be that Biden is flagging. I disagree. I didn't feel Biden was as bad as you and a lot of other people did. Mm. I th- I thought he was hurt more by the fact that everybody else was, their bar went up. They went up closer to him. It just, there, there was definitely not a, well, he's clearly heads and shoulders above everybody else. Not at all. No. So no, that, I think that's no, where he's hurt. Fatal moment. Although, you know, old Kamala attacking him on race was uh, was rough for him. Uh, he, Boy, he was in a no-win situ- situation. 
Was yeah. he going to fire back forcefully at a black woman over that issue? Even if no, he was right. And a no black one. child. As she went to great pains to portray herself as a tiny little child. Uh, no, I don't think he was terrible. I just think, as you said, he was not nearly as good as the other people on stage. And he came off, he came off as old and scattered and just not a leader. He you. came, you know what he did? And you, this this ought to resonate with you because you've been making this case for since I've known you. He came off as an old senator. <laughs> yeah, I think, a maker of speeches and a parser of phrases. I think if he would just if he if he had just been himself last night, he'd been much better off. I think he's scared to say what he actually believes. Look, this health, this universal health care, we're going to lose. Yeah. This idea of open borders, we're going to lose to Trump. He doesn't have the guts to say that in the in the in the current times, the current climate. Yeah, and I don't know how that would work either. I don't know how that would play, but I think that's what he wants to say. I can't believe he's that he thinks that's a good idea. We we saw him when they ask all those questions. Raise your hand. He'd look around. He'd kind of put his hand up a little bit. I guess everybody's raising their hands. So maybe yeah. I should. Well, he had kicking Pooper and Bennett saying that, but nobody cared what they said. That that uh, that socialism will doom the Democratic Party, but yeah. nobody cares. So, a uh, big moment. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and play that, uh, Sean? I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, 23, I guess? Raise your hand if, gover- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Okay. Let me start with you, Mayor Buttigieg. Why? Mayor Buttigieg, why? Because... Our country is healthier when everybody is healthier. And remember, we're talking about something people are giving a chance, given a chance to buy into. In the same way that there are undocumented immigrants in my community who pay. Uh, they pay sales taxes. They pay property taxes directly or indirectly. This is not about a handout. This is an insurance program. And we do ourselves no favors by having 11 million undocumented people in our country be unable to access health care. But, of course, the real problem is we shouldn't have 11 million undocumented people with no pathway to citizenship. It makes no sense. And the American people... The American people agree on what to do. This is a crazy thing. If leadership consists of, of forming a consensus around a divisive issue, this White House has divided us around a consensus issue. The American people want a pathway to citizenship. They want a protections for dreamers. We need to clean up the lawful immigration system right, like how my from father immigrated now. to this country. Um, uh, and as part of a compromise... Everybody raised their hand. Obviously, this is radio, not television. Everybody raised their hand on uh, health care for illegals. And he said, it's not a handout, okay? I, I, I think that's at least a 60-point win for Trump's side on that a particular argument. Wow, there's there's no way. Do you think the whoever the candidate is runs on that? I don't think so. I think, like you said earlier, I think some so whoever gets is the nominee massages it back to some yeah. reasonable position. Sure, because that's sure. just a loser of a position. Trump just run on that all day long, everywhere he goes. Just travel around Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, all those states. They want to give health care to illegals. You're going to pay for health care for illegals. Your town is dying, but you're paying for health care for illegals. Right. Well, and you've got to combine that with everybody said, I'm up for decriminalizing crossing the border. Let's just make it a, a civil offense. It's, um, uh, well, I don't know, like jaywalking, I suppose, or is that like a criminal offense? And I think even, jaywalking may be a criminal and offense. And even Willie Geist on MSNBC this morning, I mean, if you never watched that show, they couldn't hate Trump and all his policies more. Even Willie Geist said, so why do you even have a border then? Right. I mean, yeah. that, that's the way any normal American's going to respond to that. Yeah. Tell you what, it's troubling. In Cal Unicornia, the, the gig has been 
uh, let everybody in, attack any effort to control immigration at all, and then uh, get uh, pass uh, driver's licenses for illegals, and then have voter registration be automatic when you get your driver's license unless you affirmatively step forward and say, please don't register me to vote because I am not a citizen. And then you have, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people registered to vote who shouldn't be. And it just goes in steps like that. Well, okay, let's decriminalize crossing the border. Okay, let's give health care to everybody. Let's give driver's licenses to everybody. And then, and again, I've been hearing this since I was in college, you have the the point of view that if you live in a jurisdiction and are affected by its government, you should have the vote. And that's how we will soon arrive at absolutely any Tom, Dick, or Jose who sneaks into America has the vote. And they will make the moral case step by step by step that that's the only way to do it. And we will no longer have a sovereign country. So we got to get into your news coming up, Marshall. Kamala Harris was on some show yep. this morning trying to uh, massage her answer on uh, on taking away your private insurance. Right. So, yeah, I want to hear that. So that was another one they all raised their hands on. Right. Almost everybody raised their hand on that one, that they'll do away with private insurance. And like, many of them are now walking it back. Yeah, including yeah. old uh, Kamala. What else is coming up in your news, Mark? Yeah, we're going to get into some of those uh, policy uh, votes last night. We've got the first city to become a gun sanctuary city, and now we've got universities offering degrees in marijuana. Coming up. we got to get back to some of the funny moments from the debate, too, of which there were several that made me laugh out loud. Uh, stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> the unbelievable impersonator Kate McKinnon was on one of the talk shows last night doing the crazy hippie chick from the debate last night. Yes. Marianne Williamson, so we'll have to yeah. play that for you later. I haven't heard it yet, but it's got to be funny. Kate McKinnon's perfect. Because who's more mockable than that weirdo who was on the left of your screen last <laughs> so, night? So, Mr. President, if you're listening... You know, she was a, she's a, a love goddess, guru, touchy-feely thing. I feel no need to mock her. She mocks herself. It's the people who are pitching disastrous policies I'd prefer to mock. Well, aren't you a grown-up? <laughs> or the permanently angry Kamala Harris. We know, uh, now go to Kamala Harris on the, uh, I don't know, the National League West. I just can't live in a world where the Dodgers lead less fortunate teams. We have games won inequities in this country. And when I am president, this will end. She's angry about everything all the time. She is the winner of the last two nights. There's no doubt about it. Can't wait till the first polling comes out. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Yeah, a lot of people surprised by the unanimous Democratic presidential candidate's support for a number of controversial issues during the debate last night. Candidates came out in favor of doing away with private insurance, opening up the borders, and when asked... Raise your hand if, gover- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. And that's when they all held up their hands, including Joe Biden, who explained that you cannot let people who are sick, no matter where they come from, no matter what their status, go uncovered. You can't do that. It's just going to be taken care of, period. You have to. It's a humane thing to do. But here's the deal. The deal is that he's right about three things. Number one, 
they in fact contribute to the well-being of the country, but they also, for example, they've increased the lifespan of Social Security because they have a job, they're paying a Social Security tax. That's what they're doing, It's increase the lifespan. They would do the same thing in terms of reducing the overall cost of health care by them being able to be treated and not wait till they're an extremist. That's a, that's a very uh, senator thing to say, yeah. in extremis. I don't even know what that word means. Just in an extreme circumstance. Okay. When I heard but that, I thought, that is senator talk right I'm a, there. I'm a weirdo who nobody likes. I know that stuff, but nobody else does. What? what what's, uh, why, who would... He was so terrible. I, I'm telling you, Howard, he was terrible, in my opinion. How did he not see the busing attack coming and be ready with a strong, pat answer that's not only a defense, but an offense? I mean, if I were to write it for him, and again, this is off the top of my head, I would have said, listen, we were fighting and pushing as far and as hard as we could in 1977, and we wanted much more than that, but we fought for what we could get, and the next year, I fought to go farther, and the year after that, I fought to get more than that, and I have fought my entire career. Don't jump on me for not achieving 2020 policy in 2017, or I'm sorry, in, in, in 1973, we fought and we fought hard. Hit her with that, not, well, uh, uh, the, the Federal uh, Department of Education busing is different from local busing, your local school board, your school board. That was terrible. Well, back to the clip we just played, I don't think most Americans feel like illegal immigration is a net benefit to all our programs. And just fantastic. And right. we, uh, you need to add health care to that. And so David French, who we've had argue with us before, uh, he tweeted, someone needs to tell the vast bulk of the Democrats on that stage that they're not winning the presidency by going from 90 to 95% of the Brooklyn vote. Wow. So they need to get to 96? What, what's he trying to do? That's a really good line. Yeah. When asked how many of the candidates would do away with private health insurance, again, they all raised their hands, including Kamala Harris, who this morning is backtracking on that move. So once and for all, do you believe that private insurance should be eliminated in this country? No. You don't? No, I but do not. But you raised your hand last But night. the question was, would you give up your private insurance for that option? And I said, yes. Yeah. Oh, I think I you do. heard it differently than others then. I'd probably, because that's what I heard. <laughs> Listen, I will concede that sometimes it's not easy to hear on stage as easy as but it is. But why did you own. ask that question? That is a bizarre... No. Nobody would ask that question. That would be a dumb question to ask. Twice me as a asked. millionaire <laughs> um, the, with a completely different... I get pension for life with the government. Why, why, what are we talking about my personal insurance for? What does that have to do with it? <laughs> uh, listen, twice she has been on a big stage asked, are you for the elimination of private insurance? Twice she has said yes. And then twice she has gone back and said, well, I'm for uh, giving everyone insurance, but you can keep yours if you'd like it. She just obviously wants it both ways. Which might work. Which might work. Which might very well work. I had another thing to say on that. Was it a health insurance? Oh, so, you know, they, they got the most active of the activists are in the crowd at all these debates. So they yeah. cheered the do away with the borders and health care for illegals. Do that same thing with a but in one of the in one of the counties that you have to win in Pennsylvania or Michigan somewhere mm. with a bunch of hard hat guy construction guys or whatever or people lost their jobs manufacturing all that sort of stuff. Do that in that crowd and say on stage, yeah, healthcare for illegals, and tell me you're not going to get booed off the stage. 
among people you're trying to get to vote for you. Lifelong Democrats would boo you off the stage when you said, yeah, I want I want help, free health care for illegals. In a lot of the places that you have to win if you're going to beat Trump. You know, I, if, if I could have my dreams come true, I would have a serious, serious conversation about the state of health care in America and the cost of it and the distortions that are caused by, you know, not only insurance companies, but government policy and the rest of it. And Craig, the healthcare guru, would probably be uh, in charge of it. And, and we could make a hell of a lot of progress. But the idea that we take these ludicrously inefficient, wasteful, fraud-riddled, unresponsive, abusive government programs, and we extend them to everyone, and that's the solution? I mean, that's so dumb, it's, it's silly to even take it on as an argument, and yet that is the leading argument on one side of the aisle, and frankly, on the other side of the aisle, their arguments are pretty dumb, too, so it's just... It's discouraging. Medi- when you get Medicare for all, folks, you will hate it. You will hate it. Won't matter. There'll be no going back. Right. I, here, here was my quote of the night. Now, I'm, I'll figure out who said it. It was a tweet that I retweeted. Um, you can vote yourself into socialism, but you have to shoot your way out of it. That is always true. College students in Maryland can now get a master's degree in marijuana. University. Man, of, I had a couple of friends who pretty much ought to get an honorary one. The University of Maryland's the first university in the country to offer that graduate degree in medical marijuana. The school is saying the program was created to meet the need for an educated workforce in states legalizing me- medical marijuana and legalizing pot overall. An industry that uh, Positive Sean has already dipped his uh, financial toe into, as I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the Positive Sean portfolio is exposed to a couple of uh, Canadian pot companies. That's true. There you go. That's your news. Thumb foreign, foreign pot companies. Because there aren't American ones yet. Oh. That's your news. <laughs> I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. <laughs> oh, Squawky, what is the state of freedom? We like a man called Adam White who's a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's going to talk to us about the Supreme Court rulings that have come down in the last couple of days. Couple of biggies. Really biggies. But, as usual, misreported by the chuckleheads of the mainstream media, what the soup's actually saying, what does it matter? And then uh, later on the show, we'll have to get Kate McKinnon making fun of Marianne Williamson from the debate. I want to hear that. And the the part of the debate that got the biggest laugh, which I thought was interesting. Oh, hey, on night number two, Joe Biden had the most words. I'm kind of surprised. He had the most most words of both nights. Yeah. Kamala came in third overall, second last night. Uh, Little Pete. I'm calling him Little Pete because he comes off as small. Small in a lot of ways. I suppose it makes sense that you'd get the most words out of the guy that's been the front runner since the gates opened. But if I'm Joe Biden, I don't want to be the one who talks the most. The anger. Over two nights. Dead last. Yanger, who gave us the word ass last night. Yes. Yanger. First time ever, I believe, in a presidential debate. No tie, said ass. That's my candidate. <laughs> Yanger was way, way, way behind the second to last Jay Inslee. Man, he got screwed. It's anti-Asian bias or something. <laughs> he was just sitting there. Well, I guess they don't want to talk to me. We got more on that later. Adam White talking about the Supreme Court rulings next. Strong and Getty Show. 
with some news. Good evening, Jerry. Um, we've got uh, more on the debate throughout the show. We'll do what we did yesterday. We would play everybody's closing argument, which is a good way to get uh, a, a, an idea of what they think if you didn't watch it. It's like one of those uh, beer tasting things where they give you like five ounces of several. A flight. Right. Thank you. Uh, Adam White is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, also director of the Center for the Study of Administrative, the Administrative State at George Mason's excellent university, uh, George Mason University's excellent Antonin Scalia Law School. Haste makes waste. I'm better off just talking at my normal pace, but because we're on disciplined fools who went long in the last segment, we don't have as much time with the fabulous Adam White. That is why I'm hurrying. I apologize. Adam, how are you, sir? It's great. It's always great to be here. Well, thank you. Um, so, listen, uh, in terms of press coverage and excitement, the census question ruling might be number one, but in terms of significance to the republic, I think probably the gerrymandering case the Supreme Court decided this week was number one. Uh, briefly, if you can, what did you make of the decision? What does it mean? Oh, on the gerrymandering case? Yeah. I wasn't wasn't surprised by the court's decision. They made the right decision. There's been this call for the Supreme Court for years now to get involved with what they call partisan gerrymandering, where people say, it's not that I'm being denied the right to vote, but my vote isn't given enough effect because my uh, my district is shaped uh, to sort of either minimize the number of voters like me or maximize the number of voters like me. And the court sort of you know, Frodo Brown said, how do we administer a standard that gives you the right sort of Goldilocks level of political influence within your state? The court said, there's just no rule we can apply. There's nothing in the Constitution that creates a rule here. So this isn't even really a legal question. It's what we call a political question. And so the court won't even touch the issue. And that was the right decision. The court should apply rules that are found in the Constitution, not just sort of make up their best sense of what makes good policy. I, I get that ruling, and that makes perfectly good sense. But as as far as the practical outcome of it, does that mean states that had been doing that are going to feel like, oh, well, we can really take it over the top now because the, the Supreme Court's already decided this is our gig? Well, to go back to the states, and the question is how do the states solve it? Now, the Constitution says that the state legislatures are supposed to draw districts. Now, the Supreme Court a couple of years ago fudged on that and said states can have independent districting commissions do this. There's going to be a real push in a lot of states in light of this decision to create independent districting, uh, independent redistricting commissions, basically turn the electoral process over to the administrative state and try to draw these lines. I think that would be very worrisome. I think it really we need to leave this with the state legislatures to solve these issues. Could a state Supreme Court say to its legislature, hey, you guys screwed up? Yeah, it's possible in light of the state Supreme Court's, or sorry, the state's own constitution. Right. The state Supreme Court might say, well, there's a provision in our constitution that gives greater protection than the federal constitution, and we're going to enforce it. There's going to be a lot of that. I'd say across the board in the Roberts Court era, where progressives feel less confident that they'll get what they want out of the Supreme Court, they're going to put more and more pressure on the state Supreme Courts under state constitutions to create these rights. But for better or for worse, that's federalism. Yeah, right. Well, for better, if you ask me. But let's talk a little bit about the uh, census question ruling. The Trump administration wanted to put on a question uh, that said, are you a citizen? Uh, There's yeah. great hue and cry, even though that strikes me as an incredibly reasonable question. Uh, but this, uh, the court said, no, no, you can't for now. What did they say? Why? So this is one of those cases that gets a lot more complicated because it's, it all involves administrative law and the administrative state, the sort of thing that I get paid to put students to sleep over for the <laughs> course of a semester. Let me try to keep it simple. Um, the, que- the question at issue isn't whether the, uh, the, the Commerce Department can put the citizenship question on uh, the census. Rather, the Supreme Court said the way they went about it was the wrong way. In administrative law, whenever an agency does something, it has to come up with a reasonable, rational explanation for what they did. 
In this case, the, the court's progressives, joined by Chief Justice Roberts, concluded that the, the explanation that Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, gave, it was just too much of a pretext that saying we did this in order to help uh, vindicate the Voting Rights Act really didn't make a whole lot of sense and didn't have a, much support in the administrative record. So now they're sending it back to the Commerce Department. And this, I think, was really misunderstood in a lot of the early coverage yesterday. The court didn't declare that the Trump administration can't use the citizenship question in the census. Rather, it's going to go back to the district court, and then it should go back to the Commerce Department for a do-over. Now, it's going to be a do-over in a hurry, and I suspect that the trial court is going to try to stop the Commerce Department from doing this. We might wind up right back in the Supreme Court very quickly on an emergency motion to see how much running room the Commerce Department is going to have for a do-over. But it seems to me, by my understanding of the opinion and, and the doctrines around it, uh, that the commerce should still have time for a do-over. Adam White is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution and director of the Center for the Study of the Administrative State at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. Uh, was there anything else in particular that really caught your eye or ear this week? You thought the Supreme Court uh, made a major move? Yeah, for somebody who focuses on administrative law and the administrative state, it was a really interesting last couple of weeks. You know, President Trump put Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the court in large part because of their focus on the administrative state. We saw a lot of that. We saw that in the Commerce case. We saw it in um, a case called Kaiser, which had to do with how much deference the court should give agencies interpreting the law. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in a case called Gundy. There was a big question of whether Congress had just delegated too much power to the Justice Department, that Congress basically handed over its legislative power. Now, these opinions were all kind of a mixed bag. Um, there's some things conservatives can cheer for, if nothing else, for strong dissent coming from Gorsuch and others. But I think you really saw here the first fruits of those Trump judicial appointments and beginning a conversation that's going to proceed for decades over the right role, a narrow role, of the administrative state in our Constitution. Wow, interesting. The administrative state terrifies me, by the way, Adam. The, 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 the bureaucrats, the, the unelected makers, passers, and enforcers of rules in the United States terrify me. It should terrify you. It should also disappoint you. Our, our framers of the Constitution worked very hard to give us a Constitution rooted in the separation of powers and checks and balances. The administrative state's a threat to a lot of that. It's also a failure of our government to maintain the structure we were given. You ever heard uh, Cicero's quote on bureaucrats? No, what's that? Uh, a beloved listener passed this along. It's too good not to share with you. A bureaucrat is the most despicable of men, though he is needed as vultures are needed. But one hardly admires vultures, whom bureaucrats so strongly resemble. I have yet to meet a bureaucrat who is not petty, dull, almost witless, crafty or stupid, an oppressor or a thief, a holder of little authority, in which he delights as a boy delights in possessing a vicious dog. Who can trust such creatures? That's a pretty good line. I have to say there's some good lines in the Gorsuch opinion, too, and in Justice Thomas's opinion. Conservatives are lucky to have these justices sort of focusing down on these first principles. Adam White, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, also with George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. Adam, it's always enlightening. Thanks a bunch. Well done. Thanks, fellas. Okay, I feel like we got to get to this news. Um, so it's been reported that Donald Trump, he's meeting with a bunch of people uh, overseas, and he met with Putin today, and the headline is, A Smiling Trump Tells Putin Don't Meddle in the Election. I haven't seen any video. I don't know who put the word smiling on there. You know, maybe he was, or it's somebody's intent to make it seem like Trump didn't meet it or whatever. That could, right. that could be inaccurate spin. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means. But this is being seen as a quote that he said to Putin uh, during the conversation. Quote, fake news, great great term, isn't it? 
Trump talking to Putin here. You don't have that problem in Russia. We have that problem. You don't have that problem. That's an interesting thing to say. It's a very interesting thing to say. What I say to him is none of your business. In a country where if you printed something that the the leader didn't like, you would uh, you would disappear. You'd be poisoned or thrown in prison. Uh, you got to clarify that, Don. You got to clarify that. Why does he say things like that? Because <sighs> he has no filter. <laughs> Is he just is he just buttering up Putin because he he thinks he can win over everybody? He does a think, lot of that. I don't think yeah. he butters up uh, a little fathead in North Korea or Putin or any of these people because he's in league with them or any of the crap that you hear on MSNBC. I just think he's a classic salesperson. Yeah, that he thinks he can win anybody over with flattery and get his right. way. Well, I've studied how he's gotten various golf course deals around the world through the years. And that is, he comes on to the town or the county or the state or whatever, just utterly charming, effusive with his praise and his friendship and the rest of it. Yeah, he butters people up at the beginning of negotiations. That's his thing. Uh, and no, Russia doesn't have a problem with, with fake news per se, um, nor do they have a problem with, say, pesky alternative candidates running. Uh, but you got to, oh boy. Oh boy! Now I I don't know if this was uh, if this was one of those things that was not for the public in theory. You know, it's just him talking to him. I get it. You're tr- you're trying to make it make him feel like you're uh, you're you're your your buds. Yeah, that's a strange thing to say though. <laughs> anyway, there'll be fallout from that all day long. I guarantee you. They've got uh, another party that's running against me. You don't have that problem. <laughs> I have that problem. You know. <laughs> say that. That would be funny. We got more on the debate too. I hope you get more of the show. Armstrong and Getty.